Hi there. Thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church, Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another, and impacting the world. Well, good morning. Nice full house this morning. Uh, wonderful to see the people of God coming together and worshiping to honor His name. So turn with me, please, to Exodus. And we are busy with uh, a study through the book, but we are taking it quite slowly through Exodus 20, chapter 20 at the moment, with each one of the commandments. And, and so chapter 20, but I'm going to read uh, from verse 24 of chap- 23 of chapter 19, just so that we see there is a connection. Chapter 20 follows chapter 19. There is a context, and especially seeing something of the awesome holiness of God that is revealed to us in chapter 19. And Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, Set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, Go down and come up, bringing Aaron with you. But do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Now focus is verse 7 this morning. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will, hold, will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. So just so far, let's bow our heads again as we pray. Lord, just those words expressed in song, uh, words with such tremendous weight, and significance, singing and proclaiming a willingness to surrender all to you. And I pray, Lord, as we come to your word this morning, that that would indeed be so for each of us as we seek, Lord, to follow you and serve you and give you all that you are worthy of. And so we commit this time of Uh, preaching from the word to you, open our hearts, uh, teach us, we pray, and Lord, even praying this morning as we are taught that there there would be that sense of all for you, not only as we gather here, but even as we go our separate ways later this morning, we pray, as we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. About two months ago, I heard on the news that the fairly well-known author, 
Salman Rushdie. Now, if any of you have heard of him or heard the news of what happened in August, but uh, Salman Rushdie was about to speak at an event that had been organized in New York. He was set to give a talk and uh, speak something of his own experience of the previous years of how in the United States he had discovered and he was to speak how the United States has been a safe haven for exiled writers, people who had needed to run from their home countries because of persecution or difficulty for one reason or another. Well, before he could speak, he was on the podium when suddenly a knife-wielding man stormed the stage and started stabbing him in the abdomen and in the neck. I checked up on Friday that he's still uh, in hospital and recovering from this attack. Now that stabbing I use as an introduction to this message this morning because it comes in a broader context. Uh, Some years before when Salman Rushdie had published a book, a book that became fairly well-known, Satanic Verses. Perhaps some of you will recall that particular publication. Well, when he published that book or had that book published in 1989, he unintentionally exposed himself to the death sentence that was pronounced, a death sentence known as an Islamic fatwa. It was imposed by the Ayatollah Khomeini, believing that he had, that Salman Rushdie had blasphemed Allah. And at that time, uh, the whole debate, perhaps re-emerging, it probably has emerged from time to time in the course of history, but the the debate about the meaning of blasphemy took place. And that's what I want us to think about today. We need to think about the meaning, the significance, what it is to blaspheme God. Well, in my research, I discovered that in the United Kingdom, uh, they have decided that blasphemy, blasphemy can only refer to the Christian God. But it is also said, and it is very doubtful in a very secular context in the United Kingdom, whether that judgment will stand for very long. The newspaper, The Times, suggested that the blasphemy laws ought to be abolished, as nobody really understands them. And then they added, this is what I want us to focus or think about this morning. The concept of an offense to God is beyond most Englishmen. Now, of course, that's there. What we need to be thinking about this morning is the concept of an offense to God. Is it beyond the members of the Central Baptist Church? I want to take it further than that. Quoting another author, Brian Edwards, he speaks of this quote in the Times. He says, the Times may well be right that the idea that you can offend God no longer registers with modern man. But that's what they're doing. They're doing it. But the question then I want to ask us this morning, does it mean that the idea that you can offend God, if that idea does not register, if that idea is beyond the understanding or beyond the concept of a nation or an individual, does it matter? Does it matter what you think about an offense that can be committed against God? 
Well, this is the question that we will be able to answer and give attention to from this third commandment. And uh, I read it again from verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Well, this commandment can only really be understood if we understand the significance of all those words and phrases. So I'm going to take them this morning. Uh, my outline is really just something of the, the words from the particular verse. And my first point this morning is I want us to consider the name of the Lord. Now I'm looking around the congregation. And I wonder if boys and girls could put their hands up. Just very hard for me to see from anybody primary school and younger Sikhle's name is up, hand is up. Just keep your hands up. I'm just looking to see. I want you to turn to your family and ask them a question. Why were you given the name you have? Maybe adults can think about that at the same time, but I want the boys and girls to answer. Is there someone brave enough to tell me why they have the name they have? And I asked Thomas, and I'm going to ask him again. At the hill service, come on, tell us, Thomas, nice and loud. Okay, I didn't hear that. Say that. That's right. Grandfather's name was Thomas. I confess this morning to my shame that if my family had followed that tradition, my name would have been Jacob de Firda. I'm so glad my family did not pass that on. The point, boys and girls and moms and dads, there is normally some kind of significance in the name that you've been given. And you probably know the reason. Some of you do, some of you don't. I have discovered that some people have a name because their mom or dad saw a particular movie that moved their heart, some sort of love story. But they don't tell their wives or their husbands. Others, others, and I've confessed this about my own family, the child is named after a previous boyfriend or girlfriend. <laughs> also kept as a secret, only to be revealed later on in life. There are reasons. Some people scan books, and uh, I was tempted to ask Daniel and Gabby, Baby's coming soon. And I wondered, I just wondered what, what names are being com contemplated in the McKee family today. And we're not going to jump that on you. Some people name their children after people in the Bible. Some people name their children after Christian saints that have gone before. The point I'm trying to make, and I'm wanting us to think about this morning, is what is it? What, what is in a name? What do we think about in terms of names? Uh, why would John or, or Jill or, or Peter or, or Matilda have any kind of significance? But of course, more specifically, our interest today, what is significant about the name of God? What is it about the name of God that ought to grab our attention and also affect the way that we use the name of God. Well, have a look at your Bible, and I do want you to look because we need to scrutinize the verse a little bit closer because the superficial reading may not uh, bring this to the fore. But unlike the first two commandments, 
The third commandment refers to God in the third person. Okay, a little bit of English grammar there. And uh, just to indicate, to illustrate what I'm saying, rather than saying, you shall not misuse my name, that is in the first person, he says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. God is drawing attention to his name. God is wanting us to think about the meaning and significance of his name. Now, of course, the name that has been referred to here is the covenant name, Yahweh. It's the name that, that was revealed to Moses back at the burning bush. And Jabu mentioned that in his call to worship this morning in chapter 3, verse 14, where God said to Moses, I am who I am. That's a, an unusual kind of name. And he said, say to this people that I am has sent me to you. So God also said to Moses, say to the people of Israel, the Lord, again mentioning a name, the Lord Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Jacob, the God uh, has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered through all generations. So what is God saying here? God is saying something to us about himself. He's saying something to us about who he is. He's revealing to us, he's revealing to them and through them to us that he is the eternal God. That is the unchanging God. Forever. All generations. That he has existence in and of himself. That he has no need. We could summarize that into the words he's self-existent, he is self-sufficient and supremely sovereign. So what, what is it about the name of God that I'm trying to communicate that we see here? It, it must have soon become obvious and evident that Yahweh was much more than just a label. It has a lot more to do, it has a lot to do with God's identity. In fact, it is God's identity. Our names are labels. We simply call each other by name so that we're able to address each other. But God's name goes beyond being a label. It, it, for us, a, a name is something we have. It's not something we are. That's the difference that we need to see in this particular instance. In fact, in the unfolding of the Bible, when we use the name of God, we are referring to the essence of the divine being, who God is. It's not just a convenient way that we're going to now pray and speak and address God. It's more than that. It's a summary of the holy character of who God is. Now maybe think about uh, uh, this Name, name. We often use the name of Jesus also uh, in our prayers. And let me try and illustrate what we're doing by giving you this illustration. Now, when we reflect on a Tuesday morning, we meet as a, a staff team and we talk about Sunday and, and ministry and, and what God is doing and, and, and what we ought to be doing or should have been doing and what we can be doing. And, and, and somebody will make a comment about uh, people at church. There were many new faces at the Arcadia campus on Sunday morning. Now, what do we mean by faces? 
We, we don't mean, we don't mean that, the, that somehow these faces are dis- disconnected from the bodies of people. No. What we are saying, we understand that to be saying one part stands for the whole. A face is part of the entire person. And so thus it can stand for the entire person. Similarly, God's name represents his whole identity. It's a type of speech, and we see it two examples in Psalm 8, verse 1. O Lord, our Lord, this is the, the psalmist speaking, how majestic is your name in all the earth. He's not simply saying, well, God, you've got a nice name because your name happens to be uh, uh, Yahweh. He's saying more than that. How majestic is your name in all the earth. David is praising God because of who God is, because God is creator, because wherever you look around the world, you see something of the evidence of, of his power and, and, and what he's done in creation and redemption. And so, Lord, your name, your being, your person, who you are, your attributes, you are majestic. We see it also in the book of Exodus. Uh, the psalmist referring back to the Exodus, Psalm 106, the incident at the Red Sea. Uh, yet he saved them for his name's sake, for the reputation of who God is in his entirety, that he might or might make known his power. So, and so for us this morning, for these Israelites back in the day, those who were given these commandments in the first instance, they needed to see, they, they should have known, they must have known by now that God's name was more than a label. His reputation, his being. And therefore the response that, that, that God deserves is, is not so much just to a label, but it's to his being that we give to God reverence and respect that God has given honor and awe. But that leads me to my second uh, point, taking the name of the Lord in vain. Now, again, looking at this third commandment and the weight, the importance of this commandment, Taking the Lord's name in vain, that, that phrase, in vain, the root meaning of that word carries the idea of something that is empty of meaning, that it's lightweight. Wasteful would be another way of speaking of that particular word. And so a literal reading of verse 7 could be, you shall not lift up the name of the Lord your God for nothingness. Wanting to make it practical this morning, taking the Lord's name in vain has to do with the misuse, the abuse of God's name. And since his name represents who he is, his identity and his essence, it means that we cannot think of God, we cannot act in ways, we, 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 we cannot give any indication, we cannot communicate, we cannot represent God in any kind of empty way. We cannot represent God in any way that is less than what he is worthy of. And so it is important when we look at this, this, this particular commandment, but, but what the Bible reveals about the greatness and the majesty and, and, and just the awe of who God is in his being is that any kind of flippant or frivolous or, or thoughtless or disrespectful reference to God is treating him with disrespect, with lightness, 
with, with, with uh, unimportance. Dutch theologian by the name of Joachim Duma, he mentions three ways that God's name was commonly misused or profaned in the Old Testament. I'm going to touch on all three of these because I actually think we can draw something of, of, of principle from there that even occurs and, and dangerously occurs in our own day. The three ways are sorcery, false prophecy, and the taking of oaths or the making of promises. So in the ancient world, people used sorcery. They believed that they could gain access to the supernatural powers that they believed were out there by, by using divine names and incantations. And sometimes we kind of think we can do that even as Christians by simply shouting louder the name of God or repeatedly saying the name of God or claiming something in the name of Jesus again and again and again. But what are we actually doing? Do we think there's some kind of magic in, in the repetition or the shouting or the volume we use in, in saying the name of God? Well, that's what these people did. They called upon their gods. They shouted to their gods. They repeated their names of their God to heal their bodies, to tell the future and to give them victory in battle. What's the purpose of that kind of activity? It is a belief and a thinking that it is, it is a means to manipulate God, to get God to do what they want. And, and yet we see in the scriptures that God refuses, God refused then and still does to be manipulated. So Deuteronomy 18 verse 10, there shall not be found among you anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or sorcerer or a charmer or medium or necromancer or one who inquires of the dead for whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. The second practice from those days, again very prevalent in our own day, uh, God's name was not to be misused in connection with false prophecy. So often, have you come across that in your own life? Where somebody comes claiming to have heard from God using those words, thus says the Lord, when in fact the Lord has not spoken and it is only a means of abuse, a means of manipulation. And, and sadly this happens far too often. There are these false prophets, people who claim to speak on behalf of God simply to advance their own um, agenda. And what I see in this passage to do that is to place yourself in a position of danger before God. Deuteronomy 18 verse 20, but the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I've commanded him to speak or speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. There's a weightedness to think that we can speak and presume to speak on behalf of God when we have not heard from God. They did it then. Sadly, many doing it today, unthinkingly and irresponsibly. Thirdly, in an effort to deceive others, men and women would take an oath, making promises to try and reinforce their falsehood. Like in Jeremiah chapter 5 verse 2, as surely as the Lord lives, trying to give credibility, trying to give substance to their undertakings, standing behind God, pretending to tell the truth, doing so in direct violation of the third commandment. 
Leviticus 19 verse 12, You shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. And so can you see the severity and, and, and the reality of, of using the name of God blasphemously? Different forms and expressions of these three methods or approaches have continued down through the ages. And I want to add just a few other, and I'm just going to mention them because of the length of the message this morning. Using God's name as a common swear word. Perhaps that's what you think that this uh, psalm refers to, uh, at least this commandment refers to on its own. Uh, when people use the name of Jesus, or Jesus Christ, or Christ, and simply using that name as a, as a, as a swear word, I'm sure you find that in the workplace. You certainly see it in, in the context of the media, so much so that we get so used to it, we Christians start using phrases like, oh my God, thoughtlessly and unthinkingly. That's, that's blasphemy. That's blasphemy. It's, it's misusing the name of God. It's, it's lightening the weight of the name of God. And, and so I can continue having a flippant or frivolous approach to God. I've mentioned this already, which is really an irreverence. We approach God with, 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 with the kind of awe and, and, and worth that, that, that he is, is due his name. Also, when we project ourselves to be someone we are not in hypocrisy or disregarding anything that is important to God or ignoring or twisting the plain teaching of Scripture, that's blasphemy. It's misrepresenting God. You know, somebody this morning came to me at the hill before the service and they showed me a photograph of, of a billboard in California that was put up apparently just recently. The billboard, massive big billboard, massive big billboard with, with the invitation of, of helping people have abortions. With a scripture verse. And you know what the scripture verse they quote? Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Folk, that's blasphemy. That's the abuse of God's name. God's word, something that there will be consequences. We, we are told in my third point this morning, as with any transgression of the law of God, there are consequences. Uh, declared guilty before God. That's my third point. Exodus 20 verse 17. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Now let's think about transgressions. I think most of us here today, many of us perhaps, have had a fine. You've been speeding and somebody, traffic cop has stopped you and he's written you a fine and you've had to pay some money as a consequence of that particular transgression. Uh, sometimes, and, and we also know that we have a criminal justice system, not only in this country, but many countries of the world, where guilty culprits get away with murder. Scot-free, we think. That's not so with God. We need to see in this passage, because of who God is as a holy and just God, a God who is all-knowing and all-powerful, the punishment will fit the crime. There will be an accountability. 
and it applies without consideration of any kind of mitigating circumstances. And I want to go to Psalm 130 where we see something of this demonstrated or illustrated. The psalmist understanding something of the terror of standing guilty before God. And I want us to think about this morning. Imagine finding yourself at the end of your days, at the end of time as we know it, before God. Guilty. And the psalmist says... In that first verse, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord, O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. Do you see this man? He's desperate. He, he finds himself in a situation of, of, of absolute uh, uh, desperation. And then he says, and he gives the reason. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? Now let's try and bring that to us here today. If God were to draw up a charge sheet of all the transgressions that you have committed or I have committed today or yesterday or even in recent days, would you be able to remain standing before God? You see, if any of us think we would make it on our own because our lists are not too bad, if I could say very bluntly, that kind of thinking is an indication of the ignorance of the holiness of God and it's ignorance of the blindness to your own fallenness. Every one of us, all have fallen short of the glory of God. And so the, the, there's a need to find a way forward. And the only way forward is what the psalmist declares in the psalm, but with you there is forgiveness. Lord, I'm in trouble. I'm, I'm in serious trouble, but with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. And so the good news in a, quite a hard message this morning is I want to share with you very appropriately is in a few minutes we're going to share at the Lord's table with, with God there's forgiveness. There's a gift of forgiveness. Not on the basis of mitigating circumstances because your difficult upbringing or your bad influence of friends or your parents treated you badly or didn't treat you well. No, no, no. Not because God will turn a blind eye and ignore your charge sheet. Not because your charge sheet is shorter than my charge sheet. Justice will be served. God doesn't compromise on his holiness. Sin must be punished. And so we read in Hebrews chapter 9 verse 22, without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness. You and I need forgiveness. Death and judgment are inevitable realities. Eternity waits for every single person either in eternal separation from God in hell or with God in his favorable presence. Chapter 10 of Hebrews, verse 27. Just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Now, folks, that's the good news of today's message. Having been offered once, Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of Put your name there. Is that true? Do you believe that? Do you receive it? And then when he comes, not to deal with your sin, but to save those who eagerly wait for him. 
And so, friends, forgiveness, the wonder demonstrated by the communion table this morning. There is the first commandment. There is the second and the third and and the remaining commandments that we will see. But we need to uh, affirm again this morning there is forgiveness with God. There is the good news of the gospel for those who repent from their sin, for those who trust in Jesus. And, And what about Jesus? His substitutionary sacrifice on the cross. Him dying in the place of sinful men and women. <clears throat> well, let me conclude. The commandment is stated negatively. So the sermon is somewhat negative this morning. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. But I want to conclude with what I consider to be a positive expression of this commandment by Jesus when he was teaching his disciples to pray. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, he said, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. What does that hallowed mean? Jesus is urging us to pray that the name of God be made holy. Not that we can make it holy, but that people recognize the holiness and the majesty and the grandeur of the name of God. And so this, this line of the prayer means let us ask God that his name, that his person, that his identity, who he is, would be exalted, that he would be lifted up, that he would be worshipped, that he would be honored, that he would be adored on earth as he is worshipped in heaven. It is to ask God to move and act in the world that people will worship and treasure him above all else. And so this this prayer can be applied in two directions. It's applied amongst unbelievers. We ought to be praying that God's name be recognized, that his name be hallowed amongst those who do not know him, those who blaspheme his name. They need to hear the gospel message of Jesus that there is forgiveness. And amongst us believers, many of us believers here this morning, I want to say to you, this message applies to you, it applies to me as a believer because any one of us needs to be growing in some degree more and more in our love and devotion to God. None of us has arrived. You know, it's one of the tragedies of being a pastor for a long time. You begin to see a group of people who perhaps could be identified as has-been Christians. We used to. They talk about the past. When we used to teach in the Sunday school. When we used to come to church every week. But they become stale and stagnant and their walk with the Lord is dry and barren and so the challenge of this this passage this morning is it doesn't matter how long you've been a believer you do not arrive you have not arrived you will not arrive until the day you die or the day that the Lord returns each one of us we ought to be spurring one another on in love devotion to God so to answer the question I asked at the beginning It does matter whether the holiness of God, whether an offense to God registers in people's minds or not. The idea that you can offend God is something you ought to think about. It's something you should never forget. Because God is God, you and I are creatures, and God will hold us accountable. 
And so the final question this morning, even as we come to the table, and I hope you come to this table in answer to this question with great appreciation and thanksgiving to God. Will you be able to stand on that day? Yes, because of the blood and the body of Jesus. Or I don't know. Or no. Lord, give us clarity in our standing with you, each one of us. And even as we gather this morning, Lord, may we, in these next moments as we sing and then as we meet around your table, may there be a great sense, Lord, of awe for who you are. Lord, the very great privilege we have of knowing you, access uh, to be able to express even a prayer identifying you as our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. And as we come to this table in recognition, looking at ourselves with, Lord, thanksgiving because we recognize our fallenness, the offenses that we, occur, that we, we commit against you. But Lord, for forgiveness, it's an amazing gift that you remove our sin, Lord, as far as the east is from the west. That in Jesus, even his righteousness given to us. Thank you for that day when redemption was accomplished. So lead us in our thoughts as your spirit works, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon. Find out more about Central Baptist Church at www.central.org.za.